What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of The Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at The Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at Caesays, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. Now, look, people, I know we've had a couple of results that maybe didn't go the way we wanted, but let's face it, it's always a good opportunity when you've had a bit of a rough patch to turn over a new leaf, start again, put the past behind you, and come with something fresh. So I hope you enjoyed the soft reboot, the soft rebrand, the new music, the new logo, the new cover art, all of that good shit. It's for you people, but never mind all of that. We are here to talk about the Arsenal, not to talk about me. We had two two gold leads dropped two games in a row, meaning two points dropped two games in a row. If we beat Southampton, we can go seven points clear against second place City, who have two games in hand where the top two will face each other for a clash to see who goes first out of the two midweek next week. Did I get that right? I think I did. Listen, people, despite the disappointment with the draw at West Ham, we are still able to go seven points clear of Man City before our midweek game against the Citizens. Yes, they'll have the two games in hand on us, but even if they win both, which in all likelihood I think we know they will, we'll still have a one-point lead on them. We have it in our hands. Though I'd be more comfortable if we kept it in our pocket, maybe in a wallet, you know, maybe in our bag, you know, maybe in an uncrackable safe that even the most complete heist crew couldn't crack. But, you know, I'll, I'll take it being in our hands. There are very clear patterns that seem to be emerging from the last couple of games. Um, patterns that I think will impact our ability to go and do this thing mostly though for me what i'm focused on is how we respond from the last couple of games because the liverpool game and west ham games while we had two you know two goal leads cut back in in both they happen in very different ways but they're they are their own games and the southampton game is a different thing entirely and what i what I'm hoping these players will do is put these two games behind them, chalk them down to the variance of the running where you're playing a brilliant Liverpool side who have been poor this season but still have quality, who are playing at home and have a decent record at home despite a bad season, versus a game against West Ham where we went two goals up, started feeling ourselves getting a bit too complacent and then got caught um, at the back due to a couple of deficiencies we had on the day. None of that has to define us. It sounds silly, but none of it has to define us. With seven games to go, you get maximum points against Southampton, and suddenly you're still in a place where it's in your hands to get the thing done. So that's what I'm hoping we do. In the run-up to the West Ham game and the Southampton game, too many people, in my opinion, that you saw online, and again, I always stress the online community is not representative of the entire Arsenal community. It's so much bigger than what you see on on socials, but so much of what I saw took the West Ham game and the Southampton game for granted, as if they were gimmies, as if they were, yeah, we're going to win that and win that. So it's all about Liverpool and C. And as many, many, many people keep reminding all of us, any points can get dropped at any point in this competition. It's that simple. So you can't walk into games expecting, thinking you're entitled to three points. And there's a degree to which I don't think we walked into the match at West Ham entitled to the three points. I think we went two goals up, were balling out of control, tricks and flicks, passing it around. They couldn't get near us and the complacency set in at that point. So what I'm hoping is they'll learn a lesson from that and realise that they have to kill teams off the way they have been all season. You know, it's it's just a, it's a recent thing. You know, they it's not something that's been happening all season. It was just the West Ham game that I think this complacency set. And I think the Liverpool thing, you know, our second half looks better when you go back and watch it. But mostly it was a good Liverpool side who turned up at home. 
Um, West Ham, we got complacent. But if you look at the games before that, Palace, you know, we got them out of there. Leeds, got them out of there. Fulham, got them out of there. You know, we turned over Everton a few weeks back. Turned over Leicester, even though we should have got more goals in that game. You know, we've we've been putting a decent number of goals past the majority of teams we play. So I have no doubts that we can do it again. But I just don't like what I saw against, uh, against West Ham. Sorry, So I'm hoping we put that to bed when we play Southampton on Friday. Now, this is a bit of a similar, and I've said this before, so I know you're tired of me saying this. This is a similar situation that we saw last season where everyone was sort of looking at Newcastle and Spurs away in terms of securing top four. Meanwhile, we would drop points to Brighton, Southampton and Palace. It's the same thing that I'm talking about. So we can't be looking ahead to Man City. We can't be looking ahead to Chelsea or Newcastle or Brighton. It's very much about the Southampton game. But before I do talk about the Southampton game, I just want to take a moment to talk about the run-in as a whole quickly before we focus on the game in front of us. Chelsea and Brighton count for nothing if we don't get at least seven points against Southampton, Man City and Newcastle. And the reason I say that is because, you know, from the way that we tend to do the mental gymnastics in our head, Man City, if they win, they overtake us. And I think we all know that while it's possible they could slip up and we could leapfrog them again, it becomes a lot harder when they have a lead to hold on to and we've got to try and um, leapfrog them. Southampton's next game up. We can't have three games on a bounce with drop points. We just can't do that at all. And Newcastle away, given their position in the table, given how well they've played this season, um, we need to go there. And given the drop points against West Ham, I think we need to win that. So, you know, if we don't do the business against Southampton, against City, there's no point in looking at Newcastle. There's no point in looking at Chelsea. There's no point in looking at Brighton. And our final seven games, they are, just as a reminder, Southampton, Man City, Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton, Nottingham Forest and Wolves. So having City, Chelsea, Newcastle and Brighton four games in a row, it's a tough running. I think we've got something like um, the eighth trickiest running. So by no means is it easy. By no means is it easy. But if you look at those teams in that list... When we look at our, our our games against City, you know they did us in the second half at the at the Emirates, but the new the FA Cup game could have gone anyway. Individual errors at the Emirates were what cost, caused us, but otherwise, you know, we were definitely in it with them. Chelsea beat them nicely. Newcastle held us to a draw, but we can beat that team for sure. I mean, if you've seen them in recent weeks, they have certain times when they look brilliant, and there's other times where they look infinitely get outable. But we've got enough quality to beat them. Brighton, they are a really difficult team to beat. But we beat them 4-2. Forest, we beat them. Wolves, we beat them. So these are all teams we know we can beat in some degree or another, or at least get points from where we need to. We're unbeaten in nine games in the league. We can make it 10 if we, you know, avoid to beat Southampton and obviously looking for the win there. And if we can avoid to defeat City, which is a big ask, then who knows how this season ends. One thing is for sure, though, we need to make sure we beat Southampton. And that's the next one up. So yeah, that's that's how I feel. You know, it's it's we're we're facing a behemoth in Man City. You know, they already had a sensational squad with the likes of Gundogan, you know, De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, Mares, Rodri, Laporte, Diaz, Edison. You know, they already had sensational players, and then they added Erling Haaland to that. Then they added Julian Alvarez to that when you have the kind of quality they have and then you add that kind of talent to it, it's obscene what this team are able to do now. You know, you would have seen them in the Champions League. You would have seen them in the league. You see how they're just steamrolling over teams. When everyone else is in the trenches, in the running, you know, teams fighting for relegation, fighting for Europe, fighting at the top of the table, in the trenches, scraping for every point they can get, City are steamrolling over teams with ease. So they are in a very different place to everybody else in terms of the quality in their squad. So it will be a big ask to to keep the distance on them. But all you can do to do that 
is get the points in the next game in front of you. That's it, just the next game. Um, like everyone, I'm thinking about the permutations and how we can do it with a team as good as they are, you know, after the Southampton and City game. Yeah, I do think we're going to need five from five. But if we're going to beat Southampton, avoid defeat at City, beat Newcastle, and then win the next five, we're talking about a 16-game unbeaten run, which includes a five-game win run in a row to end the season. That is that That would take some doing, but that is something champions would do. So we have to display the form of champions. And to do that, as I said, we need to put the last couple of games behind us and focus on Southampton. And, you know, they're an interesting side. It's one I've, you know, Loki had a soft spot for over the years just because of some of the players that have come through there. But they are in a bit of a tricky situation. One that, you know, on the one hand, you could argue has been coming because they've, you know, they narrowly avoided going into administration all those years back climbed up the tables, got into the championship, got into the Premier League, you know, but they they had a, a pretty decent run at one point. Between 2013 and 17, they had four top eight finishes. Um, I think that was four top eight finishes in a row, actually. Uh, they finished sixth in 2016, I think. But they've basically been in steady decline pretty, pretty much ever since. And, you know, while I like the previous, manage, uh, previous manager, Hassan Hussle, it's clear that his somewhat combative management style stopped getting the best out of plays and you know by the time he was fired they were in the same place they were when they hired him so they sort of got better to get worse the replacement from him nathan jones was a complete mess lost six of his first seven games and then you know the the replacement that replaced him ruben sellers is doing his best with a squad that's sort of misshapen and not properly built you know a team that was revered for bringing through youth and giving them an opportunity and mixing it with a blend of seasoned professionals that's out of the window and the young players, other than a couple, the young players look a little undercooked. The senior players are too inconsistent, and that just leads to inconsistency overall. Um, you know, they've had something like six managers in just under three years, I think. Uh, changes at exec level, which has led to disjointed decision making. Um, you know, th- these are all things to stop me if it sounds familiar, right? Disjointed uh, decision making at the top due to executive instability. That that sounds all too familiar. But yeah. Um, at one point, you know, they were ahead of the curve in terms of their use of analytics, the data-led approach, you know, being able to discover young talent and nurture it and sell it for big money on the market. You know, when you look at their, you know, competitors on the south coast of Brighton, they've got that game on lock. Um, so, yeah, the inconsistency all over the place, as far as Southampton's concerned, is killing them. And they look closer to being relegated than ever before. Two back-to-back 15th place finishes, you know, following a steady decline from the sort of early 2010s. However, they'd kill for two 15th place finishes in a row right now because they are rock bottom of the penalty uh, of the Premier League. So we have to face a team that are in that much trouble. And yet this same team took a point off us earlier in the season with one of our tougher performances, one of our tougher tests. Um all season really and it's a game that anyone who listens knows how i feel about this it's a game that has irked me ever since i do not know ways about that performance but i think it's just the fact that southampton have looked awful all season kind of like the everton game awful all season and somehow they contrived to get points off us sickens me so yeah no more of that please we have to stop the rot um as i said before obviously we can go seven points clear They'll have two games in hand, but seven points is still a decent game, a decent lead to go into that game against City with because, of course, they they know they'll have to win, but having seven points between us and them makes that need much bigger, and we know that they have other things on their mind. We know they have the Champions League on their mind. We know that the FA Cup is right there for them. That's an easy win. I mean, I think Brighton will be a tough test in the final if, if Brighton get past United, um, but we know that they're eyeing a potential treble, but more than that, they want that Champions League. That isn't going to stop them going all out, though. Um, So we have to go into that game and the other games for the rest of the season with our best foot forward. And that means instead of going into it three, you know, three games in a row dropping points, we go into it off the back of a dominant win against Southampton. Um, And while we have dropped points in those last two league matches, 
which has allowed, you know, second place City to close the gap on us to four points with that game in hand as it currently is. As I said, Southampton sit bottom of the table, four points from safety. They're, you know, they they have, I think, Leicester, the Nottingham Forest above them with Everton just above them. Um, it's going to be rough for them. So they're going to be fighting, scrapping, trying to get those points. But it also means that they can't afford to sit back and just get pummeled. They're going to at some point have to try and go for us. And as we know, teams who try their best to get, you know, get at us and come at us, they leave space. And if they leave space, we can exploit it. So fingers crossed, we're not dealing with a, you know, primely executed deep block. We're dealing with a team who try to get us on the ball and we can knock it around them. Now, it's easy to see how some people might feel our title hopes have sort of somewhat faltered after the last couple of results. You know, I'm on record as saying, I think, you know, from the time of the the loss to City at the Emirates, we need a bigger buffer going into these last uh, last round of games. But that being said, in reality, if you can, if you think about it, our job hasn't really changed. Um, win six of the remaining seven games, again, draw in the last one, and we'll we'll be champions. It's that simple. It's not easy, but it is that simple. Um, the problem is we need to turn these results around from the last couple of weekends. And on the one hand, you'd think Southampton would be the perfect place for that kind of mission, right? Um, but losing two two goal leads in a row is a bit of an unwelcome trend. So that is something that needs to end. They may, and look, Southampton may be bottom of the table, but they're not down and out. They sit four points behind 17th place Everton. Um, they're on the same number of, of matches and there's still plenty of football to play. I mean, Ruben Sellis's team, they've got, I think, Bournemouth coming up on the 27th. They've got, you know, a game against Newcastle and then they play Forest. So they've got they've got games against teams around them. So an extra three points here plus some points picked up there could materially change things for them and they'll know it. So as I said in the last preview pod, you know, when we when we went into the game against West Ham, we are the scalp right now. No one expected us to do what we're doing. No one's expected us to play as well as we're playing. We are very much the scalp that everyone wants to take. If there is a way they can take points off that off us, that's what they're going to want to do. So realistically, we need to go into it assuming every team is going to be at their maximum against us because the chances are most of them will be. Also, um, I didn't know if you know this, but Southampton are actually unbeaten against us in our last two games against them. Um, So they got the draw this season and they beat us at the back end of last season. So that, don't get me wrong, both games away. Uh, the last time we played them at the Emirates, I think, was December 2021, and we won 3-0. Some of our um, current squad scored in that game, I think, Odegaard and Gabriel. So we know how um, we tend to be at home. While we have a solid away record, our home record is great as well. We've you know had last couple games away from home, so it'll be good to be back at the carpet at the Emirates in front of our crowd to turn it around and show that we have the quality to be champions. And that's the thing. If you're going to be champions... You've got to do what champions do. And the one thing that champions do is they get results. One of the things that you find with teams that go on to win championships is they go on a relentless run towards the end. And it's it's difficult to picture that um, in any other context other than Man City doing what they do because they won four out of the five, last five Premier Leagues. Out of the last five, only Liverpool uh, won it other than them. And when Liverpool won it, they were 20-something points clear by the time this the league ended for COVID. So, you know, the last five years, the teams that have won it have just steamrolled everybody else, right? But even before then, run-ins, you're going to see some tricky results. You're going to see some odd points dropped here or there. But mostly what you're going to see, see the winning team do is maintain their composure and by hook or by crook, whether it's through bad performances, luck, you know, a goal going in off the back of your neck, whatever it is, a dodgy penalty, whatever it is, teams find a way to win. And to illustrate that point, I went back over the 1998 team that won the league and the 2002 team that won the league. And I just want to highlight this point because this is where our last couple of results become incredibly important. And this matchup against Southampton gets brought into sharp focus if we want to be champions. In 1998, in the run to win the league, it was Arsenal 1, Sheffield Wednesday 0, Bolton 1, Arsenal 0, Arsenal 3, Newcastle 1. 
Blackburn 1, Arsenal 4, Arsenal 5, Wimbledon 0, Barnsley 0, Arsenal 2, Arsenal 1, Derby 0, Arsenal 4, Everton 0, and you'll recall that is where we won the league. Liverpool 4, Arsenal 0, because we just won the league and so we're clearly half drunk by that point. And Villa 1, Arsenal 0, same goes for the Villa game. When you listen back to that sequence of games that I just uh, read out there, you see, for example, a shock result in the 1-0 loss to Bolton. But what you also see is an Arsenal side that just relentlessly won games. You know, being Sheffield United, being and a range of teams as well, being Sheffield United, being Newcastle, Blackburn, Wimbledon, Barnsley. You know, it's it's important that no matter what's put in front of you, you can find a way to get the result. And that was even more prevalent in 2002. So listen to this result, run of results um, on the way to Arsenal, winning the league in 2002. Arsenal 1, Derby 0. Aston Villa 1, Arsenal 2. Arsenal 3, Sunderland 0. Charlton 0, Arsenal 3. Arsenal 2, Spurs 1. Arsenal 2, Ipswich 0. Arsenal 2, West Ham 0. Bolton 0, Arsenal 2. Man United nil, Arsenal one, and that is where we won the league, of course. Arsenal four, Everton three. So you see that relentless run of games, and that including included beating the types of West Ham, beating Villa, but also included beating Spurs, beating United. These are near faultless runs. And yet, in our last 10 games of the season, we've already dropped points to Liverpool and to West Ham two teams admittedly having inconsistent seasons in their own ways. However, that's what buffers are for. Now, as I said before, I'm I'm of the opinion we needed a bigger buffer. You know, those two drop points against Brentford, that could have done it. The two drop points against Southampton, that could have been crucial. The drop points against Everton, that could have been crucial. But just a couple of extra points between us and them could have made all the difference because that could have been one extra loss, one extra draw, and us still being ahead. But ultimately, there's only so many games you're going to be able to win. And when you're you know, competing with a team that regularly you know, gets 90-plus points and wins the league, it is going to take a near-perfect run. That isn't a criticism of the players. We're just in a place right now in the Premier League where Man City is setting an unbelievable, ridiculous level of excellence that the squad is achieving say what you want about how they've got there how they've done it you know the financial situation at the club everything else you know these are all conversations we've all had and we will all continue to have but purely talking about the players on the pitch the management the coaching staff they're setting standards of excellence that just hasn't been seen in the league before so for us to win the league we have to better that standard And if we can't, it's not because we're terrible or we're rubbish or the players have bottled it. It's just the standard being set is ridiculous. It just, it just is, you know, in, in a normal league without this behemoth of a team, we're walking this league. Look what Napoli are doing in Serie A. You know, it's, it's, it's a joke what they're doing there. It's a show. It's a joke. The distance they put between themselves and other teams. Look at us and and the teams supposedly supposed to be around us in the top six. You know we've we we were at one point eight points clear of Man City, and yet they're right on us, and that's the difference. Really, it's just we are dealing with a behemoth for the team, and so we just have to keep going the best we can. But for us to get to where we want to at the end of the season, we have to display the form of champions. We have to go out and win again and again and again. We have to be relentless with it. Anything less will not do. Um, So, yeah, the last couple of games we've lost lost our buffer, but that's fine. There's still seven games of the season to go. That's a lot of football to play, but equally, with every game that goes by, every game that's chipped away, each game that goes by, that's less games for Man City to catch us. So if we can get those points against Southampton, put ourselves seven points clear, who knows? Even if even if City managed to get something against us, they have to be perfect for the rest of the season. And if they drop points, that buffer comes back. And I know it doesn't look like they're going to drop points. And they may not. And if they don't, fair enough. But if they do, 
If they do, it might just be enough. But we have to put, we have to create that situation. We have to take care of our business to make it so that if they slip up, we can take advantage. So yeah, six wins, one draw. We have put runs together of that type at least a couple times this season. So I'm sure we can do it again. But to do that, and this is where it starts with Southampton again, we have to secure the defence. We have conceded way too many goals in the last few games. And this is about more than Southampton, but it starts with Southampton. As I said, you know, we play City, Newcastle, Chelsea and Brighton. We cannot play these teams conceded as many goals as we have have been conceding in recent games. Let me put you in context. In the first 10 games of the season, we conceded 10 goals in the league in the first 10 games. Three of those goals came in one game against Manchester United. We've already conceded five goals in the run-in with 10 games to go. So we've played three of those 10 games and already conceded five when we conceded 10 in 10 games at the start of the season. We need to get better control of games so that we can concede less goals. Now, of course, we know that without William Saliba, we do not know if he'll be back for the rest of the season. With every week that goes by, it seems more and more sensible that he should probably just go get the surgery and get better and recover rather than risk any future long-term back problems that could come back again and again and again. Not just for Arsenal and our prospects, but for him as a player and as a human being, you know, back problems are horrible. If you know anyone who has them, you know, you know how bad they can be. Let's not risk this young man's health and well-being in the future for him as a human being, for him as a person, for his career, and also for him as an Arsenal player. If it's going to be that difficult, then let's not risk it. But I suspect it's because the club are trying every possibility to see if they can get him on the pitch without endangering him or his career long-term. And that is understandable, right? Because if you can get a fit William Saliba on the pitch, ready to play, you are infinitely better. That's not a slight of Rob Holding. I like Rob Holding. It's not a slight against him. But what William Saliba can do when he steps onto the pitch is something different. So, yeah. And obviously in the West Ham game, we were out without Zinchenko. And while there was some talk online about Zinchenko's defensive concentration, etc., etc. Honestly speaking, um, anyone questioning Zinchenko's defensive contributions hasn't really been paying attention this season because it's not just in the way he helps us keep control of the ball and in build-up that he helps us in defence. He actually helps us in defence with his defending. His, you know, his vertical leap to cut out um, attempted balls over the top into the left defensive half space. Brilliant at that. Despite what happened with Trent um, at Liverpool, his one-on-one defending isn't as bad as it seems, actually. It's really not. Um, There have been occasions when he has managed to win the ball away despite being the last man in that part of the pitch. He's done it before. So he helps out both in terms of helping us keep control and in his defensive work. But yeah, just the way he helps us keep control, the way he's always available for the past, his ability to escape from the press and find a solution when we're under pressure in our in our defensive half spaces it's incredible his ability to be exactly where he needs to be to be an option for someone else to be able to create an option for someone else is is phenomenal you know go back to Bukayo Saka's opener against Everton it's Zinchenko that finds a through ball through two defensive lines through ball straight into Bukayo Saka moves the defender one side and switches the ball straight through Tierney isn't going to give you that with the best will in the world go up the line Brilliant cross, cutback, absolutely. But those kind of incisive passes, he's not going to give you that. So honestly, for us, you know, attack is the best form of defence, but control is the best form of defence. And so we're going to need to find a way to maintain the level of control we've had in the past, potentially missing some key components. And ultimately, that is the thing, isn't it? If you're missing key components, you're going to struggle to keep control in the same way that you did. That's why they're key components, because they are necessary to do what you do if you miss them you're not going to do it the same way and that's just where we're at and you know i know what people are going to say neither tierney nor holding in the strictest sense were necessarily responsible for the goals we conceded um in in recent games but 
the overall way we play the ball, our overall ability to maintain pressure and to exert our style of play, our ability to play the ball quickly and progress the ball through the thirds, all of those things get impacted when you miss key players, which overall impacts your ability to impose yourself on the game and win the game. So while they may not be responsible for individual goals, it's not about what they do wrong, it's about what the players missing are no longer able to give us to allow us to be as dominant as we've been. So it's not really about them and what they do, it's about the people who are missing and what they can't do. And that's that's just the reality of it. So looking forward to this game on the point of Saliba, actually. Um, Mikhail Arteta's press conference said, no big news, picture hasn't changed from last week. Still have to wait a little bit more. Um, he did say uh, Saliba's not progressing as quickly as he'd hoped um, and it's a bit delicate, which tells me that, you know, unless this is unless this is Arteta kind of trying to throw everyone a curveball, it doesn't sound like he's that close. He, you know, when asked whether uh, Saliba will play again this season, his answer was, I don't know. It's a bit early to know. Now, we've got seven, seven games left. If it's a bit early to know whether he'll play again in the season now, what games will he play in? I mean, we saw him in the Mo Elneny video online on the exercise bike inside. And then he's recovering from a serious um, knee injury. So if he's inside um, working out of El Nini, he isn't outside with the boys, which tells you he's a little while away from, from coming back. So maybe he's back for the last few games of the season. But again, unless Arteta's, you know, throwing everyone a curveball, a little bit of misdirect, it seems to me that we, we may not have uh, Saliba for the next few games, including C. So, um, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out how to maximize our football without him. Um, Zinchenko as well. He said when you know he's not sure about Zinchenko coming back. Though Zinchenko was in training um, this week, so fingers crossed he's back for the game because I do think we need his level of control. One player we do do need to know a bit more about because I think he's been a topic of conversation recently is Emil Smith Rowe, a player I love to be honest just the way he plays football is the way i love football to be played direct running dribbling shooting scoring arriving on the ball confidence um you know missed him pretty much all season but he did come back at the start of the year and he's barely played at this point it can't be the injury it just has to be the fact that he's not doing what the manager wants in the way the manager wants it and there have been opportunities for him to play you know, there have been games where he could have started and he's not started. So there have been, you know, there have been times when he could come off the bench. We needed a goal against West Ham and, you know, he didn't come off the pitch. He didn't come on the pitch. Nelson came on in that game, but not Smith-Rowe. Smith-Rowe was, what, our second highest goal scorer last season? So I'm not, I'm not in the Smith-Rowe is done and he's going to get sold place. You know, I'm not there yet on him. But I do wonder... I mean, Mikel Arteta's comments are always quite um, cutting when it comes to Smith Rowe, just a little bit, if you read between the lines. I mean, here's what he said about him in the press conference today. He's pushing, and in football, what you did a year ago, a month ago, is not important. It's about what you do now, what you do yesterday, and what you do tomorrow. The player has to have that mindset, and the contribution has to be now to the team I mean, I, look, when you read that, the thing that sticks out to me, and this is just, you know, it could be my own brain just picking out parts that just jump out, obviously, but it's where he says, in football, what you did a year ago, a month ago, is not important. It's about what you do now. The player has to have that mindset. That I think that's pretty telling. He, he doesn't think he's applying himself enough. I think that's pretty telling. It's not about talent. It's about what you do. You know, what have you done for me lately is basically what he said to Smith Rowe. Like, but I, you know, help the team win against Chelsea on Boxing Day. What have you done for me lately? Oh, you know, I got that goal against Manchester United last day. What have you done for me lately? Like, he's telling Smith Rowe specifically, what I need you to do is up the levels right now. And the thing is, if Smith Rowe is able to do that, if he's able to give Arteta whatever it is Arteta needs to see, there are enough games left in the season for him to still have a massive impact on the outcome of this season. You know, we're still talking about him being able to play 
some feature. I mean, look how big the Reese Nelson goal was slash could be. There's still an opportunity for Smith Rowe to have that moment himself in some big games. You know, we've got Chelsea coming up. We he has a he has a history of coming back in Chelsea games and, and doing something special. So for me, I just would love to see him, whatever is going on right now, I'd love to see him just draw a line under it and just whatever switch needs to be flipped in his brain to get him to realize the moment is now. I just hope he does, you know. I just hope he does because we're talking about the possibility of Emil Smith Rowe being a Premier League champion. This is this is what these we're talking about Bukayo Saka being a Premier League champion. Can you imagine Granite Shaka with that medal around his neck, lifting the trophy on his head? We are six, seven weeks away from that being a possibility. These players have to understand what is there for them and show up. And so I hope he I hope he does that because these teams are not going to let us off. They're not going to give it to us. We have to earn it. These players have to go out there and earn it. I mean, when you listen to Ruben Sellers in the press conference, his press conference talk about Arsenal, he talks about how they're going to play. They're not a they're not a team that does well just sitting off, really. You can push them back, but they're not great if they just sit off. You know, he said, we're going to go there, try to be ourselves. We're going to try and press them and win the ball as high as possible to score goals and win the game. He said, he said here in his press conference, you can kick the ball long, but then you lose control of the ball. That's the problem. When you are there, you have to kick the you have to kick long and run the first couple of times, but you'll lose identity as soon as you you make that. So as he's telling you already, if you go long ball, we're gonna go right back at them. It doesn't work. They're gonna try and press us off the ball. They did it in the first game. They did it in the first game. They managed to get their goal, and we held on for a point at certain points of that game. So yeah, I need players like Smith Rowe to step up, players like Vieira to step up. I need these players to show themselves, to show their personality and have a meaningful contribution towards the end of the season because it's not gonna be, you know, the it's not gonna be the usual suspects just doing it game after game after game after game. At some point we're gonna need the input for the entire squad. You know, Man United fans will remember uh, Makeda scoring an important goal against Villa to help them towards winning the league. It's something the teams do, right? They they have players who step in and at points um, help them get over the line. You know, who who was it for? Um, uh, who was the striker for Liverpool that uh, just went to AC Milan? Um, Divock Origi scored in Champions League final, killed the game off against Spurs. It's not always going to be your your superstars that do it every single time. Sometimes you're going to need squad players to step in and do it. Um, so yeah, while while we you know while that is the case for this game coming up, of course you know the important players for us is going to be our forward line: Jesus, Saka, Martinelli. Barring any injuries or um, fresh concerns, they'll be who start and they will be who we are relying on to break down this Southampton team and get us the goals we need that's that's um without doubt but for me i'm massively interested to see how our midfield perform um in this game they are going to be who i have my close eye on because they've not been great um i think erdegaard worked really hard in both in, in both games to try and drive the team forward and make something happen but it just didn't really click um i thought shaka and party were both anywhere from okay to poor in the last couple of games. So I want them hopefully to get back to the standard that they've been producing for the the remainder of the season, particularly for this game, because um, Southampton are likely to go to, you know, do their sort of typical 4-2-2-2 formation, a lot of pressing in midfield, a lot of closing down, a lot of attempts at, um, you know, counter-pressing as well and high turnovers. So the technical security in midfield, the ability to get forward, but also support and defence, all of that is going to be important. The spacing between players is going to be important. The accuracy of passing is going to be important. And if our midfield breaks down and can't take control, we'll be overrun. So I need them to get back to the level of performances that we've seen. So they'll be who I'll be eyeing up. We know for Southampton, of course, Ward-Prowse, you know, he's a player for them who, you know, give him a set piece 20, 25 yards out, 
you're going to need to be on the, the lookout for that flying into the top corner. Lavia looks great in central midfield for them. He looks really, really good. A player who, you know, when I saw they picked him up for Man City, I, I thought they got very lucky because that's one of those players who, if he fills the potential he has, they could be selling on for, you know, 50, 60, 70 million if he fulfills his potential because he's just an outstanding midfielder. But he's still really young, still really raw. Same for Bella Kocip. He's still really young, really raw um, in, in central defence for them. So they've got young players all over the pitch, but then they've got other players who, um, you know, we know Theo, of course, he's not the player he was, and yet with some of the chances he's missed in recent games is still the player we remember. Um, che Adams, I think, is I think coming back from injury. I don't think he'll probably start. He might be on the bench, but another player who's decent for them, who, again, a little bit too inconsistent maybe. But, you know, the likes of Ward-Prowse, Lavia, Belakotchip, I think those are players who, we're going to absolutely need to keep an eye on just because, you know, on their day they can they can cause problems. But we're talking about the team who are bottom of the table. I said this against West Ham, anyone can get got in this league, but Southampton are bottom of the table. It is inconscionable for us to drop points in this game. Nothing but three points will be acceptable. And I'm sure Arteta will be saying the same thing to, to the guys. Now, look, here's the thing. In playing Southampton, these are the two youngest squads in the Premier League. And... I've spoken before about Mikel Arteta having a trend of turning one bad result into multiple bad results. And I said, we've done the same thing in the last few seasons. And we have a chance to, to put that to bed. And I think it's interesting that you have the two youngest squads in the league. One has been massively inconsistent in Southampton. The other has been massively consistent in Arsenal. And it kind of seems to shoot to bed the argument about um, relying on youth being inconsistent. Or does it? I think that the difference here is the young players we have in our squad are some of the elite of the elite, you know, something I didn't really, and it sound, it's going to sound really dumb, something I didn't really think about when it came to sort of like, you know, 1998 Arsenal and 2002 Arsenal and the Invincibles was we had some of the world's best players in our team at the same damn time, right? We had a team that had Henri and Burkamp and Vieira and Gilberto in the same team at the same damn time. We had Ashley Cole and Sol Campbell in the same defence at the same damn time. I mean, <laughs> you know, we had some ridiculous talent all on this, you know, for us in terms of the young players we have, we have some incredible young players all in the same team at the same time, supported by incredible talent, either at their peak or just hitting their peak, right? So when you have some of the world's best young players like a Bukayo Saka and Martinelli and a William Saliba, and they supported play like players like Benjamin White and Gabriel and Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus, with players like Granite Shaka at their peak, and you've got players like Martinelli, we have some players who, looking back, we're going to say, yeah, they were young, but they were actually some phenomenal footballers all in the same team at the same damn time. And I think young players will be inconsistent. Unless, of course, you can round up some of the world's best young players and put them in the same team at the same damn time, which is, I think, what we have managed to do for the most part. And then sprinkle it with some experience and players hitting their peak. Whereas Southampton, they have themselves a young side who are nowhere near their peak and who are still a little bit undercooked and they're showing the signs of it. So my hope is that you put our young side against their young side and the quality of our young side should cook. That is what I'm hoping. Um, and when I talk about our consistency versus their inconsistency, we've won 23, drawn five, and lost three of our 31 league games. Southampton have won six, drawn five, and lost 20 of their 31 league games. So yeah, that is the difference that I'm talking about. So it still pisses me off that one of those five draws that they have is against us, but I'm, I'm going to, no, I'm lying. I'm not going to let it go. Believe me, I'm not going to let it go. Um, we do have the second best home record in the league this, uh, this season, picking up about 38 points from 15. Um, but Southampton have been better away from home than they have in front of their own fans. Four of their wins have come away collecting 13 points out of their 23 away points from home. So I'm not going to go so far as to say they have a good away record because they've lost 20 games in total this season. 
um, you know, in, in the league in total. So it's not like they've been, it's not a bit like Liverpool's home form where their away form is trash, but the home form is really good. It's not that. It's just of the points they've been picking up away. They've been picking them up away from home. Apart from us, of course, with the draw where they got that at home. But I told you I'm not going to let it go. I, I prefaced it, right? I gave the disclaimer that I'm not going to let it go. So you, you just have to forgive me for that. Um, so what, what can we expect from them? style of play wise well i think it's going to be pretty obvious what we're going to expect from southampton they are a very very direct side so for me personally it's not their style of play that's the problem really um it's probably the execution of their style of play and their general inconsistency but they're going to be they're going to be a problem in their own way um or at least they're going to try to be so their current manager was um, Hassan, one of Hassan Hutul's deputies when Hassan Hutul was there. So there's a sense of continuity with Southampton and that style of play with him. So after the sort of chaos of Nathan Jones, he's come in and sort of provided a certain sense of um, continuity that they they had before. And he has a rel- reliance on what he calls counter pressure. So the sort of Southampton playbook um, represents sort of Southampton's identity. Um, and in particular, what they want to do is overload central areas. So the way they work is to sort of try to compress central spaces, crowd the opposition in those central spaces and use their fullbacks um, to trigger the press. So the idea is, or rather use the opposition's fullbacks to trigger the press. So for example, let's say Ramsdale had the ball and he gives it to Holding. And let's say Holding gives it to Saliba, uh, Saliba. let's say Holding gives it to Gabriel, who's in our sort of more left defensive half space because our left back has pushed up let's just say when gabriel receives the ball in that left defensive half space the southampton right forward will press um and then the fullback behind him will press so it's like a pincer movement the idea is to try and force you know the the left back or left center back whoever it is to go inside centrally and when you go inside they've already started compress man on man centrally so they're compressing the central spaces so they let the ball go wide. Your force goes central. They're already kind of pressing the central spaces. That means they can get a turnover high up the pitch and head straight towards your goal using direct transitions. That's generally what they want to try and do. The thing about that is it means they at times can play a pretty high line, which for our purposes would be sensational. Could you imagine Southampton playing a high line with Gabriel Martinelli running it behind? I can dream. Just let me dream. That being said, of course, um, their players don't always execute their press well. So not only do they occasionally have a bit of a high line, they also sometimes have a situation where you can actually play through their press quite easily because they don't always execute it properly. Sometimes players are a little late into um, the play they're supposed to be pressing. That creates a bit of distance, allows you to play around them. So fingers crossed they have an off day in terms of their press. And, you know, we hope that the likes of Zinchenko is free because while they like to overload central areas, if we have that extra man in that central area, it gives us an extra option, which allows us to then play through that press. So it's one of the things that um, has made Arteta's formation and the positional play this season so brilliant is there's always an extra man. You would have um, maybe seen Mikel Antonio talk about playing Arsenal and some of the comments he made about, for example, Gabriel Jesus picking the ball up at six and just drawing you out of your shape. It's something we've done brilliantly this season by using positional play and attacking the five um, the five channels, having your you know defender step into midfield. You essentially create a situation where we go to a three at the back. We're able to cover big spaces because they're big space defenders. You know they could cover a lot of ground. Obviously, that's a little bit different with Holding being there, but the hope is that the quality of the overall opposition will cover for any deficiencies in that situation. It's not maybe gone to plan in the last couple of games, but was fine the couple of games before that. But ultimately, by having that extra man in midfield, um, you, as I say, can push into the five different um, attacking channels, stretch the play, and you're in a position suddenly where, for example, um, defenders don't know who to pick up. And you can just move them about big switches. A play on the overlap has um, space to attack. So it's it's been brilliant this season. It's been fantastic. Teams have really struggled to live with it. Um, what teams have done in recent games, of course, is because Saliba isn't there and because we've got holding in the team is go long. Go long, try and win the second ball from the knockdown. 
and then transition us from there. It breaks up our play. If we don't win the second ball, we can't get control of the ball. We can't have proper build-up. It also means that if they go long into the channel, holding isn't as good um, at defending big spaces as Saliba is. So, for example, like against West Ham, Antonio could take the ball and run holding to the corner flag and then turn him. Suddenly, our play's stretched. Our plays can't connect as well. They can use that opportunity to you know, get more players up the field and cause us problems. So not having Saliba there leaves us more vulnerable. But the idea is if we can maintain enough control of the ball, we can play enough of our football, cover for that deficiency, score more goals than them, and ultimately it doesn't matter. The last couple of games, we've not made it work. This game, we have to make it work. It's that simple. In terms of sort of expected lineups and that kind of thing, obviously we know no Elneny, no Tomiyasu, definitely no Saliba. Don't see how that's happening. So we know holding stepping in. We don't know yet if Zinchenko is coming back, um, so it may well be Tierney or Zinchenko, depending on their fitness. But we do we do expect at least that we're going to have our Martinelli, Saka, Jesus front three. So I don't see why the team will be any different from the West Ham team, with the only exception being Zinchenko for Tierney if he's fit enough. Um, as for Southampton, Maitland-Niles isn't eligible because, of course, he's on loan from us. They have a few other injuries like Livermento. Um, Orsic, Salisu, I think they're all injured. Um, Chair Adams might just come back from injury, not sure. Um, they have a striker, is it Paul Onachu? I think big Nigerian centre forward, um, physical presence, good in the air, not the most gifted technically, but definitely a, pres- a presence from set pieces. And while we've been better in recent weeks, in the weeks prior, that was a bit of a problem. So we do need to keep an eye on that. Um, but otherwise, I'd I trust Gabriel to, to be able to handle him. Um, Gineppo possibly could replace Walcott because he's, again, been a bit inconsistent last couple of games for them. So, yeah, I, I think that while they're missing a few players, they still have a decent enough squad to, to cause us problems in terms of hard work. But the overall quality gap between us and them should be should mean we're, we're absolutely clear from them. It should. And as I said before, anything other than an Arsenal win would be completely and utterly unacceptable. So fingers crossed, the boys go get it done. We turn a corner. Everything that happened before is before. We draw a line under it. We don't care anymore. That's done. And we focus on getting the job done in um, in this game. Fingers crossed. Anyway, people, that's it from me. Um, it's your boy Caesar. You know where to find me at C-Says, C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. You know where to find us on the socials at The Highbury Club. Please do subscribe, like, follow, retweet, repost, share, all of that good shit. Um, fingers crossed, people. Friday, win against Southampton. Back to winning ways. Seven points clear before the game against um, Man City in midweek. There's nothing else to say. Come on, you gunners. In a bit, people. In a bit. Gabriel Martinelli!